to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm excited to welcome my colleague, she is amazing, Alyssa Leah Mancow. She is a licensed clinical social worker, therapist, and a group practice owner based in Sherman Oaks, California. She helps people who are experiencing anxiety, depression, and or trauma. She works with her clients to help them unpack how their earlier years in childhood and adolescence can impact how they experience themselves in their relationships. She utilizes a mix between psychodynamic modalities, cognitive behavioral therapy, not the other kind of CBT, and EMDR, uh, depending on each person's needs. She also contributes to various magazines such as Mind Body Green, The Knot, and Pop Sugar. And I've been super lucky to collaborate on some clients with her over the years. And today we are going to be talking about perfectionism, decolonization, health practices, and entrepreneurship. Welcome, Leah. Hi, Nicoletta. Thank you for having me. I feel honored to be here with you in this space. Yes, I am so, so glad. Let's dive in. I have had an episode before about EMDR uh, with an amazing practitioner uh, that I went to school with. I'm trying to think of what episode number it was, but for folks tuning in for the first time, would love to get a little refresher about what is EMDR. Uh, Tell us about it. Yeah. And I think it's great that you're asking again, because different people can explain it differently and different explanations will resonate differently with different people. But EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And the backstory behind it is that not all of our memories are on the surface, right? Some of our memories are buried in the subconscious. And what EMDR does is it taps into your eye movements, and this is called bilateral stimulation, which seems to mimic what's happening in REM sleep. And when we can get your eye movements to move at a certain speed, we can then kind of excavate some of the memories that have been suppressed, repressed, or buried into your subconscious mind. So it helps you. They're kind of like a brief exposures and it's not a talk therapy. It's like a somatic therapy that just helps you with re-experiencing some of the things that you've been through in the past but in the context of the safe therapeutic space. Well, I'm a huge fan of EMDR and I Mm -hmm. try to recommend everyone to do it. And you are one of the people I refer folks to. So if you're listening, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm definitely biased and (laughs) would recommend (laughs) not, I don't know what's going on for you listeners. So not your therapist or replacement for your therapy, but uh, I think it's been so helpful when I've done it for myself, but what kinds of like presenting issues have you seen it be most helpful with in your practice? I've used EMDR with people who have experienced one traumatic event in several years ago. I've experienced using EMDR with people who have complex trauma, so multiple layers of trauma. And I've also I used EMDR with people who have phobias, so people mm-hmm. who have fears of flying, fears of driving, things like that. So we yeah. use EMDR to help them feel like they're going into this scary situation, but also imagine that they're able to conquer it. Yeah, I like to think of it, and I guess this would mean that it's good for quote-unquote everything, but that doesn't mean it's Mm going to be like the bright approach for everyone, but that it's good for anything that's stored in the body. Yeah, 
basically yeah anything and well, a she lot could literally be anything back. yeah yeah because <laughs> as we know talk therapy can only get you can only get you so far you know there's a we have to access other parts of the brain that are storing our those visceral feelings I know. I feel like my listeners are so tired of hearing me say that talk therapy can only go so far. Really? Even, <laughs> yes. Yes. I've even had a couple of people be like, stop talking about embodiment stuff. And I'm like, I mm-hmm. won't. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We need, we need a variety of approaches. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people with. have like been feeling like embodiment gets like synonymous with like woo woo stuff, which I'm also mm-hmm. into, but like mm-hmm. seeing embodiment as something that's like more in a spirituality thing, as opposed to also based in like Western science too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't I know if you've it. seen any like pushback from that, but I've definitely had some folks who are like, Oh, this is just woo woo. Yeah. I've heard that. And I don't even understand what that means or where that comes <laughs> from. I think and that's where we get into decolonization, right? It's like, if it's not Western, it's woo woo, but oh, that's, how yes. I, that's how I do it. Um, okay, well, let's talk. Let's talk definitely. about that. So, I've had people uh-huh. on the podcast before that have used the word decolonization and the concept. But how do you how do you kind of define decolonization? Well, I'll just kind of, kind of go in with just um, my um, understanding is that you know mental health therapy it's all based on Eurocentric values, and there really isn't a lot of cultural competency or cultural democracy that happens within this type of space. So what decolonization is, is undoing and unlearning a lot of the values that are based on Western ideals and incorporating spirituality, connections with your ancestors, and recognizing that there are so many multiple ways to go towards healing that isn't solely the Western way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the I medical model. Yeah, I, I think I've talked about that podcast and just in my personal life when talking about like psychedelic assisted therapy or just mm-hmm. all, all different kinds of things. But I mean, we live in a culture that I think we have to almost decolonize everything. And I know mm-hmm. something that you speak a bit about on your kind of social media channels and and that we've chatted about is decolonizing like beauty uh, and mm-hmm. things like that, which I know, I mean, I would say that's in the mental health realm. Um, t- tell me more about that. What, is, what does that work kind of look like? Yeah. So I don't know if, uh, this is going to be a video, but if people can't see me and they can only hear me, I am a Filipino woman. Okay. So I'm going to speak a little bit from like a historical experience in terms of like colonization in my country. So yes, I was born please, in the Philippines, thank you. but colonization in my country, the Philippines was colonized by Spain for over 300 years. And shortly after that ended, they were then colonized. We were then colonized by America for 50 years. So you can imagine with this colonization, there was a lot of mixing of races and color, uh, colorism, which was heightened over the years. So it's a lot of the lighter skinned Filipinos were seen to be more beautiful. They were seen to be the, the more close to whiteness that you are, the more that you're held in a higher regard and the more that you're associated with wealth. And the darker skin that you are, the more negative connotations, like being called a savage or being associated with working in the fields. So as as generations go on, our country approximates beauty with lightness. And you see that even with uh, the Filipinos that are in America that maybe have never been to the Philippines, but there's so much of a desire to become lighter. Uh, maybe not consciously, but it comes in just not wanting to be in the sun, not wanting to get darker, being obsessive over mm-hmm. sunblock, sunscreen, things like that. Not for the sake of health, but for the sake of not getting 
darker. And if you ever travel to the Philippines or any Asian country, you'll see the shelves are stocked up with whitening soap, whitening lotion, whitening deodorant, anything Mm. that can help you bleach your skin to be a lighter shade. So, you know, when I talk about decolonizing beauty, I talk about it from kind of this perspective of the radical acceptance of the way that you are without modification. Because if we look at the media and including the filters we have on social media, all of the filters actually proximate you to whiteness. So if you take a before unfiltered and a filtered, you're a lighter shade. You've got a narrower nose. You tend to have bigger eyes. Bigger. Yes. Right? Yeah. Things, the things, certain you know, kinds that are, of cheekbones and lips. Kinds of cheek, and, yeah. And things that are very specific to Eurocentric beauty. So when I talk about decolonizing beauty with my clients, it's helping them understand beauty standards, where it comes from, um, and learning to challenge those beliefs. Is that something that you think could be helped by like what we were talking about before, like with EMDR, like is EMDR helpful for like systemic trauma? That's a really, so I believe, yeah, EMDR can be helpful for systemic trauma, but I think when it comes to decolonizing beauty, I would probably have to do a little bit of work to, with the client to explore what the memory is that we're, we're um, attaching the yeah. EMDR work to. But I think you can use, you can get creative with EMDR. Yeah. Cause it sounds like the way a lot of EMDR practitioners are, it's like targeting a specific memory, but I guess what we're talking about here is not just a memory, but a collection, mm-hmm. a way of being, mm-hmm. uh, and all mm-hmm. of the influences and messaging around you. And that's not necessarily one memory. It's like mm-hmm. ongoing messaging, right? It's ongoing messaging. But even as you say that, I think there probably are memories attached to it, whether it's getting bullied or having somebody make a comment about your nose or making, having somebody comment about your skin. So there probably are memories attached to it that, you know, EMDR can hold on to with this type of work. If you're willing to share for yourself or in some, you know, semi-anonymous way for client, what do you think is most helpful in starting to decolonize your own like beauty thoughts and practices um, and, and really challenge yourself to lean into that radical self-acceptance. Some of the work that I've done with clients, um, especially for women of color, it's, and they're wanting to modify themselves. They're wanting to change themselves. It's helping them connect with their ancestry, right? So it's Mm. like, let's pull out a picture of your mother. Let's pull out a picture of your grandmother. Let's pull out a picture of your great grandmother. Let's look at them and what, what would you say to their physical appearance? Well, how do you view their physical appearance? Because really you are made up of your ancestors. What you have physically is generations. Mm-hmm. And, generations. and like, would you be able to say maybe the negative things you're saying about yourself to your grandmother to or to your yeah. mom? Mm-hmm. Or if they were here in this room with us, what would they say? What would Oof, they say about your yeah. appearances? You know? So we, we try yeah. to embrace it. We try to embrace it. We try to lean towards it because a lot of the CBT work too, right? Cognitive behavior therapy, it's, it's, um, reframing your thinking, but I don't, or reframing or something else, but I don't want them to reframe it. Actually. I I want them to lean into it. I want them to look at it. I want them to confront it. Mm. So we do a lot of that mirror work. Yeah. Anything else that you found to be really helpful? So bringing in ancestry, Mm -hmm. practicing radical self-compassion. Yeah. Like what does I that look and as, sound like? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I do not need to be modified in any way to conform to a certain Western standard or ideal. And I am enough as I am. And I know that's really hard because this is generations of conditioning and it's, it's yeah. everywhere. It's everywhere. And, and I think, I mean, tell me your beliefs on this, but I think it's, 
the good thing is that all of those beliefs and things were learned, right? And it happened learning over time. And so the downside is that it's a lot of messaging that it took to learn that, but the upside is that you can unlearn and relearn with repetition. Mm -hmm. And then I think the downside of that is that it just takes so much effort and energy to like create and cultivate a practice around that to like really make a, not just a logical shift, but like a cellular level shift of really mm -hmm. believing like I'm enough and I'm beautiful. Yeah. And I'm worthy and I'm inherently good. Yeah. It is a cellular shift and you're going against the grain. You're going all the, it's, all it's the really time. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard. It's really hard when, you know, there's an industry that capitalizes on you believing that you're not good enough. Yeah. And what do you, I mean, I don't know if you, you know, feel comfortable answering this, but like, what do you say to folks who maybe do decide to make an alteration with their body? Cause mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I, I always feel a little mixed with this with my clients. Cause I do want to lean into the radical self-acceptance. And sometimes I'm supporting folks in making changes to their body. Sometimes that's because it's in alignment with their gender or it's because they want to yeah. plump something up or slim something down yeah. and how to help folks make like informed decisions. And sometimes they decide to do it anyway, even while trying to practice self-love. Yeah. It's from, it's like such a duality, right? Because I don't think yeah. that people who do those things don't love themselves. You know, it could also be a sign of self-love that you're choosing to do certain modifications. You know, there that is no right way good. to do it. Yeah, yeah. It makes you feel good. It's empowering to you. As long as it feels, I think it just depends on the space that it's coming from. As long as it feels empowering for you. Yeah. And, and where, yeah. and then where is the limit, right? Because if it's coming from a place of self-hate or internalized, like an internalized racism. Like I don't like this about myself and I want to look like somebody else. I want to look different. We, we just want to know where we draw the line, but if it's not coming from any of those places and it's really just like, I just want this, it's going to make me feel good. Mm -hmm. Then go for it. Yeah. But we just really want to explore the space that it's coming from. Yeah. And, and when I think about like changing those narratives, I think of it as like an ongoing battle, right? Like you said, mm -hmm. it's so ingrained and in everywhere around us that like, it's not like you can get to a place of like, I love myself, every part of myself all the time. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's like, like you said, it's radical self-acceptance, which to me sounds more like, even if I don't like all the parts of myself all the time, I'm doing my best to sort of supply my arsenal with all the things that mm -hmm. can help me combat those external voices. And it's like, yeah, it's a constant muscle. And at least in my practice for myself. Yeah. And maybe we want to just like normalize our feed too, right? We've probably heard this before, like just on social media, we want to follow more realistic uh, accounts. I need to normalize like the things I don't like about myself are actually very common things because mm -hmm. the standards that we're chasing, it truly is less than 1% of the population that has this yeah. unrealistic standard. This kind of goes into the the other topic that I wanted to chat with you about, which is perfectionism. And mm -hmm. I feel like we're already sort of intersecting with that a little bit, but like when we think of perfectionism, how do you define it? Like what does perfectionism look and feel like and sound like to you? So perfectionism is like an obsession with flawlessness. It's, it's this uh, desire to continue to be flawless, avoid mistakes, and avoid mm -hmm. failure. And the way that perfectionism manifests is that it causes people to really, really internalize failure when things don't go well. It causes people to internalize, like, if something doesn't go well, they take it very, very personal. Um, but it is, the, it's like this rumination that things have to be a certain way. Yeah. 
And in what ways do you see this showing up most with your clients? Like for me, I would say I'm a ongoing recovering perfectionist. (laughs) And I would say for me, it shows up in comparison, comparing self to others um, and looking at like, well, they're doing this. Why am I not also doing this? Or I should be doing more. I should always that always that hunger for more, 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 and that there's no like actual goalpost. Um, But Mm -hmm. how do you see it most showing up in your, in your practice? So I see it show up that way too. Okay. What you just described. I also see it like um, people can't move on with something until it's done exactly a certain way. So they remain stuck, whether it's an assignment, whether it's something creative, like they're just stuck. They can't move forward. Mm -hmm. I also see it in people seeking validation from like every single person in their corner, just like wanting to be reaffirmed and reassured. Uh, I also see it in, in terms of avoidance too. So people don't want to start something because they need to have like every single detail in place before they can begin. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that perfectionism means that you're like doing everything really organized, but Mm -hmm. I see it a lot in what you're describing, which is like not doing anything because there's so much fear of not doing it the right way that Mm -hmm. it's so connected with putting things off. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually one of the symptoms of perfectionism. It's procrastination, procrastination, and then avoidance and then shame. Yes. And then it's a spiral. Yeah. And like, when is, when will something be good enough for you to actually stop procrastinating it or start it? Mm-hmm. And that's, so, and so that's another symptom of procrastination. Cause like there's excellence, right? We want to strive if you want to strive for excellence. And then there's perfectionism. And the difference between the two is with excellence, you have these goals but they're attainable and they're realistic with perfectionism. The goals are not attainable and they're not realistic. And then when you don't meet them, you're incredibly hard on yourself. Mm, So that's how do we, mm -hmm. how do we like start to differentiate between excellence and perfectionistic? Like if we're looking at a goal, what could help Mm -hmm. us like ascertain if that's excellence striving or if that's Mm -hmm. perfectionism is this goal realistic for me? And how, and, and how are these goals making me feel? Mm. Are you feeling energized and are you feeling motivated by it? And are you feeling like this, like great to want to do it and complete it? Or are you feeling intimidated or threatened by it and upset that they're too high? You know what I mean? So that's just like, how are these goals making me feel? Yeah. I would also say that it is like how you acknowledge and pause and celebrate when you do get to Mm -hmm. that goal. Right. I think uh, it's for for someone to be able to take a step back and be like, oh, I did the thing. Like now I can sort of celebrate and relax and rest and digest and recuperate as opposed to, I think, perfectionist person. The next one. Just be looking to that. Yeah. Like, oh, that's not enough for the next one. Yeah. What's the next one? Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And then another thing about perfectionists is they're very outcome oriented. Like what you just said, like, okay, it's done. But if we want to step away from perfectionism, we want to be oriented to the process. What relationships did I create while I was doing this? What did I learn while I was doing this? How did I feel doing this? Like you're focused on the entire process, like the big things, the little things, the ups and the downs, you know, you're in it versus just focusing on the end product. Yeah. I mean, I think this is something that I definitely can name a couple of things in the category, but why do you think some people are more sort of perfectionistic than others? Like what are the things that kind of create perfectionism that you've seen? I mean, we've talked a little bit about culture and that's a huge one. Yeah. So there's culture and then it, you know, childhood can contribute to perfectionist cystic disease. Like if you had a childhood where your 
ability to have your needs met was conditional, then you might be adult an adult. You might turn into an adult that feels like you have to perform to be valued yeah. or validated. So it can come from yes. that as well. Um, and then shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, and then there's capitalism, you know, where it's like, we live in a oh, world that little thing? <laughs> yeah. where we live in a world that favors hyper productivity. And we live in a world where having things done a certain way, having things done right, or having things be perceived as perfect gets you a lot of praise and validation, whether it's from bosses, from friends, from social media. Um, we live in this world that really reinforces the, those unrealistic standards. Yeah. And that creates like a constant hunger, right? Like there's always a <laughs> hole in the bucket and mm. capitalism is wanting us to keep striving for more, for more, for more. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of keeps it, keeps it going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a hamster wheel. Yeah. What are some other ways you've kind of seen it like originate for folks that you've worked with or for yourself? I, I think, you know, it could be pretty anxiety based too. For some people, perfectionism kind of gives them like this, like false sense of control over their life. Yeah. Yes. Right. So if like, you know, so they, they believe or they perceive if I do things this way, then X, Y, and Z will happen. It's almost like this magical thinking, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, yeah. you know, I see it to be just a reflection of like the lack of control that they feel on the inside. Today on the podcast, we talk about perfectionism. If you struggle with perfectionism, our guest says to try delegating. If you've been a perfectionist about how to have better sex and what kind of toys and tools to buy, try delegating to our sponsor, Like a Kitten. Like a Kitten offers subscription gift boxes, so each season you'll receive a new shipment right to your door with all the ingredients to spice up your sex life. To celebrate spring, Like a Kitten is offering listeners 15% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S and S. The people at Like a Kitten are expert curators and they select beautiful pleasure products. This spring, you'll receive things like a pink glass dildo, flowered glass kegel balls, and even a mini flower pot with seeds for daisies, sunflowers, and roses. I always find something new to like with my Like a Kitten boxes. So again, to celebrate spring, Like a Kitten is offering 15% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S&S or enter code S&S at checkout. Just go to Like a kitten.com slash S A N D S or use code S and S to get 15% off these incredible boxes like a kitten.com slash S and S. And the link is in this episode's description. Now back to the episode. Have you ever met someone who like wasn't struggling with that in some way, shape or form? And, uh, I, and not even just someone, but have you ever come into contact with like any particular culture that has less of that? Um, I can't say if I've come across any particular culture that has less of that, but I have come across people that are very, you know, for lack of a better word, easygoing. Yeah. <laughs> and they're very easygoing and they just inherently feel like what they're doing each day is enough. You know, it's almost like they found a sense of peace with where they are. They might struggle with other things, but when it comes to perfectionism um, and that's the anxiety associated with it, I've found, I've definitely met people who don't struggle with that. So yeah, I'm so, I have to do more research on this, but I'm so curious about like the nature nurture of that. Uh, cause mm -hmm. I, one of my, my partner is like very like that. And I'm just like, uh, how, <laughs> how well, is this? Which, your partner is very like what perfectionistic or easygoing? No, easygoing. Oh, okay. um, and just like really happy with like what is and like yeah. not a lot of FOMO. And then I'm just like, how, like how? <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a lot of peace. You know, yeah. just like, okay, it is what it is. 
Yeah. But I think in our culture, like I have a, I don't know about folks listening, but I noticed like a negative feeling in myself when I think of someone who's like that, because the first thought, and I know this isn't right, but it's like based on, you know, the narratives that we were talking about, the first thought that pops into my head is like, oh, well, they're just like lazy or numbed out. They just like, don't feel like they can achieve more or they don't want to achieve more. I think we're just like conditioned also to think that if someone's okay with what is, that there's like a a deficit or a deficiency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like they're not ambitious. Yeah, they're not ambitious. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh Uh But then on the flip side, it's like, oh no, really, they're just maybe happy or not miserable or uh, Mm -hmm. happy with the way things are. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Or they're ambitious in like finding peace. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like redefining ambition. <laughs> Whoa. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> Let's say more about that. What would that yeah. look like? Ambitious and finding peace. <laughs> I, I, gosh, it's, it feels like it's such a radical concept, right? But it shouldn't be. But it's just like being okay with how things are and managing your expectations around things and paying attention to just what you're upset about and really asking yourself, is this worth it? Is this, is this worth it? And and why is this depleting so much of my energy? Yeah. I mean, not that you are my therapist or all the listeners therapists, but uh, Mm -hmm. just, you know, to, to milk that a little bit. Um, Let's say I'm coming into you. I, this is just my actual story. Uh, I'm coming into you. I'm struggling with some of this perfectionism. How do Mm -hmm. we begin? How do I begin to let it go? What are some tools to start to overcome this? So it depends on like the type of perfectionism that you have. So I'm just going to get into it for a little bit. There are yeah, three types of per- so there are t- three types of perfectionism. So there's self-oriented perfectionism, which means you have very high expectations of yourself and when you don't meet them, you get very upset with yourself and you personalize it and feel like you're a failure. Okay? Then there's other prescribed perfectionism, which is you have very high expectations of other people. And you expect other people to meet those expectations. And when you don't, you get very upset with them or disappointed in them. Then there's socially prescribed perfectionism, which is where you feel like society or others like family, loved ones have high expectations of you. So you're struggling to meet these expectations because you think other people will be upset if you don't. So Mm -hmm. I think it's important for people to recognize which category they fall under Um, and so with that, you want to practice delegating tasks. You want to practice not finishing everything that you set out to do for the day and just being okay with doing nothing. You know, you want to be able to see that rest is also productive. And then if we talk about like exposures, right, just intentionally make, depending on the type of perfectionism you struggle with, it's maybe intentionally making mistakes and not trying to fix it or edit it or remove it, just leaving it up as is. Oh, I'm like, thank you for differentiating some of the types. I I think I resonated Mm -hmm. with uh, all of those. Uh, (laughs) As you were describing it, I even noticed like in my own body, just this sensation of like, oh, how would that feel? So like, Mm -hmm. what, how do we tolerate that? Like the first couple of times you're trying to do things and not complete them or the first you know, a couple times you're trying some of these approaches, like how do we literally tolerate that in our physical body? I think distraction can be really helpful. You know, it's like, okay, well, this is bothering me, but what else am I going to put my attention into? What else am I going to focus on? And then it's just like this constant reminder that it's not the end of the world and everything is going to be okay. 
right? So like I have friends who are that also- the world doesn't end. Yeah, I have friends who are also content creators. And when they put stuff out, I think one thing that's like feels very cringy for some content creators is like spelling errors or misusing uh, yes. there and there, your, whatever, mm-hmm. right? And it's like there. And then it's like, yeah. do I take it down and fix it? And sometimes exposure can look like, no, you leave it up. You just leave it up and you let people correct you and you be okay with it, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then what we notice is that there's that initial discomfort and then it passes and then you're fine. So it's yeah. just riding that wave of discomfort, whether it's through distraction or having a conversation with yourself, but just kind of waiting to see what's on the other side, which is usually, okay, you're fine. Yeah. I like that riding the wave of discomfort. Mm -hmm. I also think this is where like the somatic type of therapies come in is they help teach you the tools to regulate your nervous system and like be Mm -hmm. with yourself when this wave of discomfort happens. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's where some of the talk stuff I find can fall a little bit short is because it's like, well, just do it. Right. But not Mm -hmm. having the tools to like really sit with that in your body. um, Mm -hmm. It makes it hard to put into practice if you don't have some of those, uh, body-based tools, I think, to be yeah. able to sit with those discomfort feelings. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, we're talking about it. We're really intellectualizing it. But when that discomfort comes, it's really debilitating. Yeah. It can be really debilitating. It's like you can't do anything. Your mind is focused on that one thing. Yeah, absolutely. What are yeah. some ways that you maybe see it be debilitating with clients? Like that you said, they just get stuck. Yeah. So let's say if I'm working with a client and their perfectionism is based in their job or parenthood, uh, Mm -hmm. it's rumination. I see a lot of ruminating, like what else could they do? How could they do something different? Or it's just like a lot of problem solving. If I do it this, then what are the outcomes of this? So it's just a lot of fixation. So it's helping clients come up with the next step. What's Mm -hmm. the next step? And then the next step and then the next step to get them out of that thinking mode. So yeah. it's just helping the promoting small behavioral changes. Yeah. And I know we were talking about like tools to overcome. So um, let's go back to that. I'm so ADHD. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you said this okay. interesting thing. Let's go down that road. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh-huh. coming back to the tools. So oh, that's, right. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's uh-huh. my bad. I, uh, I can go in any direction. <laughs> Our 10 at once. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, okay. So if you're the type of person who has self-prescribed perfectionism, which is you have very high expectations of yourself, typically these people have a very hard time letting other people do things for them. Cause it's kind of the thought, like I have to do it cause I'm the only one that knows how to do it and I'm going to do it better than everybody else. So for those types of people, you want to practice delegating. You want to practice delegating tasks. You want to practice asking for help and you want to practice receiving because those types of people usually tend to like to do things all on their own. They're very busy people. Um, so that's one way. And for the person that has um, other other prescribed perfectionism where you have very high expectations of other people, yeah. you want to talk to those other people about what your expectations are and then maybe have a conversation about what's reasonable, what's manageable. Yeah. And then for the person that has socially prescribed perfectionism, where you feel that other people have high expectations of you, you want to remember that you're doing your best and then you want to set realistic standards for yourself. So it, does that look like shutting off anything work-related after four Then shut off anything work-related after four? Does that look like turning things as is? Turn things in as is. You know, if you're the type of person who has to proofread emails like several times before sending them, can you just send it once and then go? 
Can you just send the first draft and then go? And ride that wave of discomfort. And that ride comes. that wave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. If you're the type of person who needs constant reassurance, can you select only two people you're going to tell your story to and then stick to those two people? And just practice kind of giving yourself that, that reassurance. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, that to me, this perfectionism thing also just fits into like relationships and sex as well. You know, Mm -hmm. I think we live in a culture that is also very like instant gratification. And so if we aren't getting things like perfectly or things aren't like popping up quickly, like we're used to just like swiping for them. If that happens in our relationship, I think people do struggle to kind of ride that wave of discomfort or the lack of like perfection that is there. And then they're like, oh, let me just trade it in for the new model as opposed mm. to like really working with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I could see that too. It's like a lack of patience, you know, Yeah. that instant gratification. Well, I mean, I know perfectionism isn't the only topic that you cover. And um, I recently discovered that you have a, huge and loyal following online. I would love to hear about topics that have been resonating most with people. Are there other topics that you feel like either in your practice or on social media that you feel like people have been needing to hear the most that people seem to really need and like a lot? So I think recently with the content I'm creating, people are actually responding well to content that's surrounding like what is the bare minimum you know, what is the bare minimum in relationships? Um, Another theme that people seem to resonate with is talking about intimacy, not just physical intimacy, but mental and emotional intimacy. And what does that look like for you? Uh, Because it looks different for each person. Something Mm -hmm. that I also do with my page that I think is helpful for people is um, I provide like words, right? Like, for example, mental intimacy might look like asking somebody, what can I do to support you? Because what we think is common sense isn't common sense for a lot. Like it's just not common sense. So I help people get, get uh, create the words that maybe they never learned to communicate. Yeah. I mean, how do you deal with like, I don't know if you ever had to deal with it, but like just kind of combining these two topics of like perfectionism and like social media and social media entrepreneurship, like how do you tolerate when you think you've like put in all this great work into a post and you're like, people are going to love this. And And then then whether it's just, yeah, or they don't (laughs) or the algorithm or whatever. Like I think, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, like TikTok, it, Mm -hmm. it makes me question it. I think it makes people question and doubt themselves so much. And it's so hard to just acknowledge maybe what you've put out there if it doesn't get a certain number of likes. So how have you Mm -hmm. kind of dealt with that when you're putting like heart and soul and work into this space and like, it doesn't land? Yeah. So this is what I've learned because that's a, that's a common thing amongst everybody, no matter how big your following is. Yeah. It's just a normal human experience. And for me personally, what I do is I go back to my purpose. Like, am I doing this so that it lands or am I doing this just to have the information out there? Mm. You know, because for me, it all started out as just um, wanting information around mental health to be accessible. Yeah. You know, because therapy can be very pricey and it is a very private thing and people don't talk about it as much as they can talk about it. So, you know, how can I make this information accessible for the people who don't know what therapy is dead? So when something doesn't land, there is kind of that, like, what, what the heck, you know, initial response. 
And then you go back to like, okay, well, it is what it is. And it's not personal. Yeah. It's just one. I, I like what you said, like, the, why am I doing this? Because I mean, that comes to mind, you know, I'm sure you've worked with clients in the industry, whether that be comedians, mm-hmm. actors, whatever. And I think that comes to mind when I think of that as well is like, why am I doing this? And do I like this thing enough to be doing it for an empty room, to be doing it just for myself, to be doing it if I don't get this kind of feedback and oof, it is, even if you are able to get in touch with why you're doing something, like it's still hard when you put your heart and soul into something and then don't get that feedback and that validation. Oof, it's painful. It is. Yeah. And it, and I hear it, you have creatives, people who make music, um, people who produce music, and it's just like mm-hmm. wanting, and, and it's not for validation, but it's like recognition is important, you yeah. know, recognition for the work that you're doing. Um, but, and it's just kind of going back to that, like that thing that motivates you to keep going. Yeah. yeah. And it's so important not to personalize it too because it is an algorithm or it is timing or it is chance. And sometimes it's opportunity. And so it's just learning not to take it personal. So instead of thinking like, Oh, it didn't land. That must mean it sucks. Or that must mean. And I, and I suck and I'm terrible. And suck. Yeah. And everybody <laughs> hates it. And everybody hates me. So it's just paying attention to those thoughts and just recognizing like, okay, it just didn't land. And that's it. That's the only story I think you need to tell yourself in the moment. Yeah. And what can I, what can I learn from this, but not to internalize it as something is wrong with you or everybody hates you. Yeah. Any tips <laughs> for like not internalizing it or translating it? I mean, I like what you said about that's the only story. Cause I think sometimes we go beyond the facts and create a story, right? What is the mm-hmm. fact? The fact is I posted this thing. This is how it was received or not that's the story. And then, or that's the facts. And then the story would be, well, this means I'm terrible. This means I suck. This means I don't have anything good to say, but like any Mm -hmm. tips for not getting stuck in the story of it and just sticking with the facts, not taking it personally. So it's maybe just realizing and normalizing how hard it is, Mm -hmm. right? To be creative, how hard it is to be an entrepreneur and just acknowledging that for some people it takes a little bit longer and some people just hit it right away and yeah. it's owning and embracing whatever your journey is in this work. With perfectionism, when something doesn't land or when something doesn't work, the thought is I'm a failure, I failed. And then there's like low motivation, no desire, right? But when mm-hmm. we want to transition into just like this healthy excellence, it's like, okay, this didn't work, but let me try something different. So how do you use these these experiences to refocus, restart and re-engage yourself. Mm-hmm. So you, you could take multiple, you know, multiple paths, but how do you take a path that's going to re-energize you? Yeah. And taking that like feeling or that energy of disappointment and first acknowledging it, naming it, being tender with yourself, but then like, uh, where do I want to channel this energy? Where do you want to challenge this energy? Yeah. Because, um, failures or things that don't work out can be seen as opportunities for learning and for re-strategizing. Yeah. But you, you want to keep going Mm. no matter what. That's just what I tell people. Like you just want to keep going. Yeah. Oh, well, I feel like we could cover so many things, but is there anything else that you want folks to know? Any other topics we should cover before we start wrapping up? As we talk about perfectionism and decolonizing beauty, I think if anybody resonates 
with these topics, you really want to normalize that, you know, a lot of these messages have been brought into you since inception. So if you're struggling with these topics, you want to practice a lot of self-compassion and know that it's really hard to decolonize your thinking around beauty. If as we were just talking about social, I think we were just talking about social media and creating, being creative and things like that. So one of the things that I recommend to anybody who's struggling with these things is to maybe hop off of some of these media tools for a while. If you find it being kind of just like a negative stuck for you, maybe limiting your consumption. And for those who are struggling with beauty and image, uh, an exercise that I like to give people if they're ready, when they're ready is to see how you feel not using filters for a while. See how you feel just like embracing what you look like naturally. Because, you know, what I've noticed is in this filter industry is people often use filters so much that when there's a regular photo taken of them, they can't tolerate it. So we want to kind of just ease back into uh, just seeing yourself in your raw and uncut form. Yeah. And like Marie Kondo, your feed, you know, like look at each... Uh, thing that you're following and see like does this spark joy right like what yeah. what do I feel about this how do I feel in my body and like maybe for a time only follow or forever only follow people that elicit that sense of community or joy or camaraderie or support um, because yeah you deserve to like have a feed that sparks that for yourself and you know your feeds are powerful tools. It can either uplift you and motivate you, or it can make you feel really bad about yourself. So, yes. you know, how and it's usually the latter for people, I think. Yeah, very much. <laughs> it's just how it was designed. It's by design. Totally. But- yes, it is by design. <laughs> um, well, how can folks hire you, get to know the work that you're doing, follow you, however you want folks to get in touch? So on Instagram, my handle is at Alyssa Marie Wellness, A-L-Y-S-S-A, Marie, M-A-R-I-E, and then wellness. Um, And if they're in California and they're interested in working with a therapist in my practice, they can send me an email. Um, The email link is also on the Instagram profile, and I'd be glad to connect them. Yes. And I believe you also have like some energy workers as well, like some Reiki practitioners. Oh yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Speaking of decolonizing healing, I also offer Reiki in my practice. If anybody is interested in energy work and they're located in the Valley or Los Angeles area, um, we are doing our Reiki sessions in person. And so we'd be glad to have you. Amazing. And if you want to follow what I'm doing uh, on this podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. And don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please check out those advertiser discounts as I have tried all of the products that I feature. And uh, I think they're all great. So I'm biased, but give them a give them a look. Thank you so much, Leah, for joining. Thank you for having me.